Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, from Proverbs 31 Ministries, you'll be hearing from author and speaker Karen Eman discussing principles of perseverance in marriage. Then it's former corporate executive, now pastor Stu Fullendorf, who shares about how God has worked in his life and shown him what is truly important. Plus, he has an extensive ministry background, and Eric Thurman offers insight into truly having a joyful and productive time in the Lord during the retirement years. And on this edition of The Intersection from Jay Louder Harvest Ministries, evangelist Jay Louder underscores the importance of evangelism in response to a new Barna survey showing that almost half of millennials surveyed are hesitant to share their faith. Finally, the men's ministry Promise Keepers is still around and just announced that former Dallas Cowboys player Chad Hennings of Wingmen Ministries has joined its board of directors. He presents some encouragement for men. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Karen Eman is a Bible teacher and author with Proverbs 31 Ministries who provides perspective on marriage in her latest book, Keep Showing Up. How to Be Crazy in Love When Your Love Drives You Crazy. She offers some principles on love and marital longevity. Here now is Karen Eman. Well, I think when we only focus on our spouse and what they're doing, quote unquote, wrong, which really, when you dial it back and really interpret that word, it's not wrong, it's just different. We think that different is wrong because they don't do it our way. So I think when we focus on what they're doing differently, and we label it as wrong, and we seek to fix them, it never ends up anywhere good. I think instead we need to learn to see us as a couple as a whole, like my strengths and non-strengths, together with my husband's strengths and non-strengths, make a whole package deal that is awesome. And God knew what he was doing when he put us together. For example... I like to talk, I make decisions quickly, I process quickly, and I want to just talk about it right now, and I want to decide right now. My husband wants to think things through, and when it comes to talking in conflict, he would prefer not to talk right now. He would prefer to talk, oh, probably never, or at least in three days. And when it comes to making decisions, he wants to really think it through and weigh the options over and over again, and I see that as a weakness, and he sees my quick thinking and quick decisiveness is a weakness, but together, when we marry the package together, we are able to make decisions in a more healthy way because guess what? He keeps me from making knee-jerk decisions sometimes because he's a little more, let's think it through, let's slow down here. But on the other hand, I sometimes can light a fire under him and instead of him sitting there thinking, ready, aim, aim. I got to make sure I'm (laughs) aiming. I got to make sure I'm ready. I'm like, come on, let's fire. And so when it's a package deal, our decision-making process, our let's talk about conflict process, it it comes to a good medium point because our strengths and non-strengths balance each other out. Well, the Apostle Paul puts the Christian life as a race. He uses that image. And you could also look at a marriage as being a race or in a, a in a sense, a game, not that you're playing games with each other, but you're in, you know, obviously God calls us to be in it till the end, till you cross the finish line. So there's a longevity aspect when you take those marriage vows and seek to follow God's will in that marriage. You mentioned in that Bible study group that you had had, I think it was about half the couples, they 
aren't in the game anymore. They've they've exited the race. What have you seen as being some of these factors why couples don't don't see it as as something that needs to be completed, if you will? Well, I think in the less serious, if I can put it that way, situations where there's not been a biblical reason that's happened and the marriage is going to break up over that, but they're a little less serious. They're more this, oh, it's kind of humdrum and boring, and it's not making me happy anymore. I didn't know what I was doing. I was young. All of those um, reasons that people give. I feel like it's two things, both that our culture and sometimes even our church doesn't really support marriages staying together like they did years ago. I mean, years ago, people supported you and said, hang in there, and it's hard, and let's, you know, stay married. And now it's kind of, yeah, well, maybe get out. Maybe you're the wrong person. We just don't have that outside support. And then I also think that people don't have a real safety net in place. People they're close to, either couples or just as an individual, someone of the, the same sex that you're close to that can be kind of a locked box for you where you can go and process some of the hard things with marriage, but that person loves you and wants your marriage to stay together and they love the Lord and they're going to continually point you to the Lord. I know my friend Mary is that person for me. I have kind of a love-hate relationship with Mary because when I go to her with something that's difficult in my marriage, she often takes my husband's side and she will listen to me explain what happened and then she'll process it with me and say, you know, I kind of think you were out of line when you said that or you did that. And she does it because she loves me and because she's an outside perspective who loves the Lord and points me to Scripture that can help me to see things from an objective point of view. And when those things aren't in place, society's not encouraging you to stay together, you don't have a close friend that you can process honestly and openly with, I think it is kind of easy to just let your thinking go along the lines of, eh, I think I made a mistake or I don't, I don't really want to sign up for this anymore. And it's easy to just go and break the marriage up because there's really not a lot of things helping you hold it in place. Karen Eman here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to KarenEmanEHMAN.com. The book's website is KeepShowingUpBook.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's Stu Fullendorf, Senior Pastor of Redemption Hills Church in Littleton, Colorado, and author of the book Wall Street to the Well, a story of transformation from fortune to faith. He shared about his own story of being a successful business executive and how he came to know Christ, then became a pastor. Here now from that conversation is Stu Fullendorf. My conversion was actually pretty dramatic. We, and I talk about it in the book, we, we actually were on the initial public offering. We were a week into the offering. Um, it was in London um, at the Savoy Hotel, where the story was, for very quickly, uh, I had gone out with a bunch of investment bankers. Uh, the lead investment banker was Morgan Stanley, and we had Merrill Lynch um, as the co-manager. And we'd had dinner in an Indi- uh, Indian food restaurant in London, and we'd gotten into a conversation about how... Um, in London about how if it wasn't for for religion, there would be no conflict in the world. And I said, yeah, that makes sense. And then I went back to the Savoy Hotel and I thought, what would the world be like without Jesus Christ? And it was in that moment Hmm. that um, I had a a spiritual awakening 
uh, I laid on the floor after thinking about it. And again, I talk about this in the book and, and sobbed and said, Lord, I've been um, so rebellious. And so I repented and I sobbed all night long in, in London on that floor. We were halfway through the initial public offering and uh, got up the next day and had the rest of the, the IPO to go um, internationally and, and so forth. So after I got back, I never told my wife what happened. Uh, I was fearful about what would happen, um, where, where the Lord was going to take me and us. And what happened after that is life got much harder. Um, I had to come to terms with, with my sin, though I had repented. Um, I was a 44-year-old man who had been an arguing atheist who had a certain worldview. And, uh, and so from that point forward, after my conversion on the, the Isilon Systems initial public offering roadshow, life got harder for a few years before it started getting better. And now you're in the ministry. You are the senior pastor at Redemption Hills Church outside Denver in Littleton, Colorado. So how did God really transition you into that position? Yeah, great. That's a great question. So for the, for the first few years after my conversion, um, I had to come to terms with the fact that I was a, a 308-pound functional and then non-functional alcoholic who went out and cashed out a bunch of stock options from the company, bought a, a wine distributorship, which a, a good alcoholic will do, and, um, and, and really suffered through the 2008 recession and went from you know, having millions of dollars to basically losing everything. And I found myself um, unable to function and went um, into alcohol rehab, which uh, I was supported by my family and, and my wife and my extended family, and got sober in, uh, in 2010 and um, have been sober with some struggles, have been sober ever since then. And through the recovery process of, of dropping 100 pounds and getting sober and the trends of the old build was gone and the new had come, uh, I just felt as I was growing more and more my first year after becoming a Christian, I read 50 books where I couldn't even read a book before. So God had just revealed and enlightened himself to me. And so by 2010, I was going through a lawsuit with the Securities and Exchange Commission, which I talk about in the book, being accused of things that I hadn't done and yet had to go through the process and ultimately um, was, was not found you know, guilty of any of those things. But, but through all that brokenness, through the, the getting sober, through the lawsuits, through the loss of money, um, through the suffering, I felt God's hand in it. Um, Hebrews 12.25 says, He will shake that which is shakable to leave the unshakable to remain. And that's what I really felt. So by 2011, or late 2010, I told my wife, I feel like God has a hold of me so much that I would really like to go to seminary. And so she, she just gave me a big hug, hug and said, <laughs> of course. Wow. And so, so, yeah. So from that point forward, Bob, uh, we decided what seminary I was going to go to. We moved to Denver. Um, I went to Denver Seminary, spent four years getting my MDiv, got into ministry, um, recovery ministry, prison ministry, fell in love with it, became a, a head of uh, uh, evangelism and outreach at a big megachurch here in Denver, uh, was on the preaching team, and just decided when I got my seminary degree in 2015 that here I was, a, a 52-year-old man, and I wanted to be... God was calling me into church leadership, and I left Mission Hills without, which was the mega church, without having a, a, a ministry job, and put myself out there and said, "Okay, Lord, where are you going to take us from this point forward?" And that's how I ended up 
interviewing with churches and became the senior pastor of Redemption Hills Church. Stu Fullendorf here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the website wallstreettothewell.com. Next, it's Eric Thurman. He has an extensive ministry background, including involvement in microfinance in a number of different countries. Recently, he discussed with me principles relative to his book, Thrive in Retirement, Simple Secrets for Being Happy for the Rest of Your Life. Here now from that conversation is Eric Thurman. What happens if we don't look at life intentionally and get a biblical lens to look at life through, we're going to default to whatever popular thinking is. And I, I don't condemn anybody for that. You know, Billy Graham once said that all my life people have been telling me how to prepare to die, but no one told me how to grow old. So what does this mean? And you touched on one of the key principles, which is that God has designs for all of our life. Ephesians 2.10, you know, where is workmanship? He's planned stuff in advance for us to do that when we do it, you say, I was made for this. This is fulfilling. I love it. But if we take the world's view that we're supposed to kick back and relax and do nothing after age 65, we're going to miss what can be and ought to be the best part of life. So for those that, well, obviously all of us at some point or the other are going to be approaching retirement age, even if someone is a a child or a Mm -hmm. teenager, ultimately Mm -hmm. that person, he or she is progressing toward that that day, which is commonly thought of to be, well, when you would be called a a retiree or a senior citizen or whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be. So as people Mm -hmm. age... What do you see as maybe some of the essential elements that people need to be aware of as they shape their attitude toward what you might say the latter years of their lives? Got a couple of directions I'd like to go with that. One of them is just to give you an outline to know that there are five parts of your life and you're going to thrive if those five parts are doing well. That's your body, your mind, your relationships, your finances, and your soul. That's the whole of you, and that's true at any point in life. But if you are doing well in those five parts, that's kind of an outline to let you say, uh, I'm going to do a self-evaluation. And I actually have a free online self-evaluation you can take at 20quiz.com. And you can answer 20 questions, and it'll kick you back a report that'll get you thinking about those. Wow. But then uh, the idea that, if I can simplify it, is I've taken popular talk, which is people say, I don't know what I'm going to do when I, you know, turn 70, 80. I just want to be happy. And so I've taken that phrase, what does it mean to be happy, to do some analysis and put a biblical overlay on that. And we can talk about what those pieces are. Absolutely, because I understand that in the book you talk about essential elements of happiness, mm-hmm. and obviously yeah. that's something that people are pursuing. They want, you know, they want that from a biblical standpoint. God offers us the promise of His joy. So, what do you see as being some of these these essential components? Yeah, you you actually put your finger on it there again because you use the word joy. The only trouble with the word joy is the average person doesn't use it except uh, around Christmas time, and it's not a common <laughs> vernacular term. So I'm going to redefine happiness and say, call it something like true happiness, which is the same thing as the Bible calls joy. But here's the kinds of traits that it's going to have. It's going to be long-lasting. It's going to be deeply satisfying. Long-lasting, not just having fun for a moment, you know, but it stays with you. It's fulfilling. It's God-honoring. It keeps you growing. So these are the kinds of things that are characteristics of true happiness. Now, what will get you there? 
if you ask people what makes them happy, you can write down a list of 50 items. But if you distill it, it really comes back to only three principles. Anything that you say makes you happy is going to point back to one of these three. And they are purpose, pleasure, peace. And the greatest of these is purpose. If you have something that's meaningful and you care about, uh, I don't care how hard it is, you're going to love doing it and you're going to feel good about doing it. So, and the pleasure can't just be hedonistic self-indulgence, but it's something that's, again, deeply satisfying. You know, the person who gets into their art or something like that uh, or something else that's creative, those, those are pleasurable things. I have a granddaughter. I can't tell you what delight I have playing with her. Uh, but you see those, that's, that's a real pleasure. And then peace is the shalom kind of peace. The Bible talks about a sense of well-being. It's not just that it's quiet for the moment but that you have this centeredness and I belong and I'm right where I need to be. Those, those are the things that God intends. And that's what a healthy whole life is like, but that's what true happiness is built of. Eric Thurman here on the intersection. You can find out more by going to the website, amazingage.com. You can also find an assessment at 220quiz.com. This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more by going to the programming section at faithradio.org or by visiting meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on the Intersection Podcast. The podcast is also available through iTunes. You can also listen to or download the current and previous episodes of the Intersection Podcast. Two blogs are accessible through the Meeting House homepage. One is the front room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. The other is the three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. There's a link to video content as well. The Intersection Podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app, Learn about downloading it for your smartphone or tablet by visiting the website at faithradio.org. The Intersection Podcast is also available from the Faith Radio Podcast feed from the Meeting House, which includes not only the Intersection Podcast with highlights from the program, but also full conversations available through iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and Spotify. Again, learn more when you go to meetinghouseonline.info or visit faithradio.org in the programming section. You'll find a link to the Meeting House homepage. Well, next here on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Jay Louder of Jay Louder Harvest Ministries. He responded to a Barna survey about evangelism, which includes almost half of millennial Christians saying they thought it was wrong to share their faith with someone of another faith. In the conversation, he underscored the importance of evangelism. From that conversation, this is Jay Louder. It's very interesting and concerning to a certain degree. There's a new survey from Barna, and it has to do with this whole area of evangelism. In fact, it's called reviving evangelism. And you look across the board, you've got among various generations, and it's broken down into four different generations, the millennials, the Gen X, boomers, and elders. 95% or greater of those surveyed say they admit this, part of my faith means being a witness for Jesus. 
Well, you look on down the survey, and while you have more than 9 out of 10 people that that are surveyed that responded in that way, and, and it does seem that people feel that they are equipped and even gifted at sharing their faith, but then you look at the millennial generation, 47% of millennials in this survey say it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. 47%, that's almost half of those in that young adult, that millennial age group, and that percentage has gradually gone up. You look at the the group called the elders, 20% actually having that response, and then 19 among the baby boomers, and then a little bit greater percentage among the Gen X, then 47% among the millennials. Jay, what does this say to you about the, the state of culture in the church? Well, a couple of different things. First of all, we got to set set the grounds, and the grounds are really um, found in Second Timothy four five, where Paul told Timothy, he said, "Do the work of an evangelist." Now, he didn't tell Timothy to become an evangelist. We understand that there are people who are specifically gifted with the office of the evangelist, who are gifted to proclaim the gospel, and that's their vocation. That's their specific gifting and calling. Now, obviously, that's not everyone's gift. Uh, We know from Corinthians, there's a plethora of different gifts that are given to different people. But that doesn't mean because we're not called to be a full-time evangelist that we're not called to do the work of an evangelist. Jesus was an evangelist. Really, all of the disciples in their own own aspects were evangelists as well. So it's a call. It's called the Great Commission. It's not called the Great Option. Uh, It's the Great Commission. And the truth of it is, every single one of us who know Jesus Christ are called to be his witnesses. Um, many people would say, and I would fall into that category, that if you are not willing and you are not actively sharing your faith, that you are you are falling short of, of God's call on your life. I, I think uh, there, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, I think we're not fulfilling the Great Commission because we're not fulfilling the Great Commandment. We know the Great Commandment is to love others as you love yourself. And when we really love people, we're much more concerned with their eternal destiny and their spiritual condition than we are concerned with whether or not we're going to offend them or whether uh, they're going to, 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 to judge us. Matter of fact, it would be good if we would be a whole lot more concerned with who we were going to inspire than it would be who we might possibly offend. And the second thing that I would say that might play a, a major role in this survey, which was just absolutely astounding, is is a lack of leadership. You don't see in a lot of churches in this day and time um, really the leadership calling people to do the work of evangelism. Matter of fact, if we were to be honest this morning, there's a lot of churches that just don't do evangelism themselves. So if the leadership is not doing evangelism, if the church is not actively engaged in trying to reach out to those that are not within their own four walls, then it only makes sense that the people who attend there uh, will not be educated about the Great Commission, that they will not be following in the footsteps of Christ. And following that call, I mean, Jesus said it in Mark 1, 17, uh, come after me and I will make you become fishers of men. It's the Great Commandment. Jay Louder here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to jlouder, L-O-W-D-E-R, 
Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, having just been appointed to the Promise Keepers Board of Directors, former Dallas Cowboys player and Super Bowl champion Chad Hennings, founder of Wingmen Ministries, shared his response to being named to the board and provided an update on the Ministry of Promise Keepers. From that conversation, this is Chad Hennings. You know, ministries like Promise Keepers and ministries like um, the ministry that I founded several years ago called Wingmen, we need... We need Christian men to stand up just in this whole advent of the, the Me Too movement and mass, toxic masculinity that we are in a true, in my opinion, crisis of identity in our nation today. People are confused or they're, they're ill-equipped or they're ill-informed. This whole t- aspect of moral secularism, uh, moral relativity in our culture, that there is no such thing as absolute truth. That's what we need to change. And we as men, and it's an indictment against us as men who profess a belief in Jesus Christ, have been absent from that table and that conversation for years. And that's the whole intent of Promise Keepers is to do one event a year, just do one event a year at at an NFL stadium or NFL city where we can just be a catalyst or be able to plant seeds in that community to start those conversations again that can provide a platform for men who, again, profess a belief in Jesus Christ about what it means to be a man of God and to be meek like Christ, where it's power under control, and to set the example, not just talk the talk, but but set the example of being, again, those good husbands, good fathers, and and friends together in in community and, and impact our community. Well, and there has been so many attempts, or there have been attempts to really distort what it means to be a man of God, to distort what the Bible actually teaches with respect to manhood. If I'm not mistaken, even I know at at least one of the the Promise Keepers events, probably more, there were women that were protesting these events, and there was a skewed version with respect to the servant leadership for men that the Bible teaches, and there are attempts to really misrepresent that and, and even to present a corrupted view of that. So as we, we look at a man being called to that servant leadership following Christ, what are some of the characteristics that we men can really seek to emulate? Well, one of the things, it's, it's people have their own agendas, and they're going to hear what they want to hear, and they're going to point out what they want to point out. But the one thing that describes what that aspect of a servant leader is, is what, a, what Paul talks about, is we are to model Christ. And what did Christ do? Christ gave himself for his bride, the church. And that's what we are called to do as men, is to give, be willing to give ourselves, our lives, literally, for our wives. And that's what it means to be a humble servant leader is not, it's not about self. It's about giving of your time, your talent, your treasure to serve others. And that's what servant leadership is about. And that's where people, you know, John 16, 33, in this world, you're going to have trouble or tribulation, but take heart for I have overcome the world. We're going to expect tribulation against those that profess a beliefs in pro-choice to, you know, all kinds of this secular humanism that issues that we deal with in our country, we just have to, it's not getting in a verbal battle with them, but we're going to concentrate on, look at our actions, look at how we're serving the poor, look at what we do with helping the widow and the orphan, visiting those who are in prison, 
um, doing construction-based projects, engaging in community to actually show and to model what Christ did and to be the hands and feet of Christ in our community. And it's not just getting being a, a lobbyist in, in Congress. That's, that's not what Promise Keepers is going to be about. It's, it's not about lobbying for policy because you can't legislate morality. It's about actually motivating men to go back into their communities to model Christ. Chad, tell me, when Ken Harrison made the call, why did you say yes? <laughs> I said yes because it's for me, it's, I think it's time for me to take my next step. And that's continue to pursue Christ, and it's, and it's an opportunity for a platform to utilize my talents and the experiences that God has given me to encourage men to step up to the plate and to be those husbands, as I said, those husbands, those fathers, the men of God, friends that he is calling us to be. Chad Hennings here on The Intersection. The Promise Keepers website can be found at promisekeepers.org. Well, we are about to wrap up this edition of the Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, The Meeting House homepage can be accessed through the programming section at faithradio.org or by going to meetinghouseonline.info. You will find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on the Intersection Podcast. You can also listen to or download the current and previous episodes of the Intersection Podcast and find out how you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. You can also access video content. You can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And you can learn more about the Faith Radio Podcast from the Meeting House Full conversations delivered directly to you through a variety of different apps. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for coming along for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.